very often it's people just sitting sometimes in shock I suppose that they're at this point and sometimes you know you can see a little glimmer of hope starting to shine again on their faces after so much loss. I'm Chris Lawson. In 2015, I started my journey into the world of IVF. Along the way, there was heartache, pain, wacky diets, loss of faith, and a lot of needles. It's a roller coaster ride at the best of times, and as I sat in the fertility clinic waiting room many times, alone with my thoughts, I realised that men don't talk about fertility much. That's why I decided to start up this podcast, IVF Dad. This is my story, and it features some of the experts we've met along the way, complete with advice, support, and money-saving tips. Episode 10, What's the Alternative? So, we have to start thinking about options. The round with the two embryos and the miscarriages was exhausting and took about five months in total to get over. By the start of 2018, we had undertaken three fresh treatment cycles three frozen embryo cycles with eight blastocysts being transferred and many more embryos being produced. Both Patricia and I had changed jobs twice, moved to Norwich, moved back to London and were engaged to get married in October of the year. In fact, I remember us booking the wedding venue on the day of one of the egg collections back in 2017, hoping that we will be able to celebrate our day proudly showing off our new son or daughter that mini dream now can't come true. We sat down with a consultant as she reviewed the latest failed attempt. And we weren't the only one that's trying new things out over that time. Dr. Taylor has moved us from a short protocol to a long protocol, tested both Tricia and I for numerous potential outcomes, tried different drugs, and the file with our notes in was massive. And she was surprised that after so many attempts, we hadn't had more pregnancies even if they would have ended up in miscarriages. There was something going on with implantation. Our stats were great and creating a high quality embryos, but none were implanting. Even when we increased our chances by putting two embryos back, it was doing feck all. So it didn't matter that we were top of a class in embryo or egg volume. And that's the tough thing about the whole process. It takes a lot to get to that finish line. Trisha and I went back home, sat down with a glass of wine or two, and thought about what the hell we were going to do. We could carry on, but nothing really was changing, and we were running out of cash. My wonderful Uncle Terry had left me some money in his will, but that had long since gone. Trisha's deposit that she'd been saving for a house all of her life was now half the size. We could change clinic and go for a second opinion, or go abroad. We could even go alternative, a bit more about that in the next episode. We could give up and look at adopting, or we could go abroad and travel, maybe become teachers, forget about kids. Didn't really think that was an option. We could also consider donations, not financial, although at that point that would also be useful, but either a sperm donation or an egg donation. The chances of conceiving via a donor egg for a woman over 40 increases the chances up to 45, 50%. It's quite staggering. But one thing that was never an option for us was to give up trying together, to consider splitting up. We were the team and everything else was going to be a bonus. 
It wasn't a case of, if we can't have children, we can't survive together. It's a hugely stressful time and can lead to a lot of soul-searching, but you have to be strong, strong enough to want to do it together. Now, don't get me wrong. There was all the usual relationship stuff. It didn't matter whether we were getting married or not. There was plenty of times we wanted to kill each other, and there's probably about 25 episodes of material in there. So we stayed put at the clinic. We'd come this far. We agreed that we would up the focus on nutrition and personal care. That's health and well-being, not personal hygiene. Just to be clear on that. And both keeping stress out of our lives wherever we could. We chose to pursue a donor strategy. Look at me going into business speak. I think that's just a way of getting it out there that doesn't tug at the emotions. Yes, we discussed the strategic alternatives and this was the ultimate solution after a thorough investigation. Yeah, it just doesn't sound right. I think one of the most humbling things is someone else offering you their eggs in order to help you have children or indeed to carry the baby if that is what is required. We had a couple of family members who both offered help and it's such a selfless act which we will never forget. There are thousands of women out there that do that every year, selflessly. But first of all, we had to decide whether it was going to be a donor sperm or a donor egg. Normally, that's a straightforward medical decision. But Dr. Taylor was cautious that considering my recurring miscarriage past, whether there was something going on which was unexplained. So the jury was out. And this particular period of a journey caused a lot of tension between Trish and myself. Whose fault is it anyway? Part two. The blame game is a game no one wins, but you can't avoid playing. And don't like admitting to. If we're honest, every week we used to unite together, holding hands, picking each other up, being positive when we didn't feel like it. And sometimes Trish spurred me on and sometimes I spurred her on. We used to lie awake at night and imagine what it would be like without children and whether we could cope with a future like that. Or what it would be like if we had children that weren't genetically ours. The bit that doesn't get talked about is the sense of guilt and selfishness at the same time. I've already told you about my super hormonal grandfather fathering seven children and two in his 70s, and yet I felt like I was failing. Trish, younger than me, healthy, full of positive energy, and born to be around children. So why was it so hard? You know, those days where you were grasping with infertility, that long, hard journey of having a child through assisted help is a testing one. And when Trisha and I were looking at alternative options, we took advantage of the Lister counselling service. Well, I say that, it was a condition of a donation scheme. They encourage everyone who is looking at donation, either sperm or egg donation, to meet with the counsellors. And it took a while for us to get there, kicking and screaming. And it just didn't feel like we were united at that point. I think it was because we both had to face up to some cold, hard facts individually. 
and I'm going to call it the selfish gene. Underneath it all, away from all of the positivity, I really wanted a child that came from my genes. I mean, it, it feels selfish even saying it. Why was it not working? And even as I say it, I think this sounds selfish and crass, but it's a feeling, right? It's an impulse. Why couldn't we have what everyone else appeared to have? Is that so wrong? And I've thought long and hard about putting this in the podcast, as I know there are a lot of people where this isn't an option. Same-sex couples, for instance, or anyone wanting to do a solo fertility journey. And in no way do I want to disrespect the other options. I'm just trying to share how I felt at that time. For some couples, they would prefer to be childless rather than consider donation. For some couples, it makes no difference whatsoever. For us, when the kicking and screaming was done, we knew we wanted children in our lives one way or another. We'd ruled out adoption for now, as the process is actually quite a long one. And we actually thought that this might be something we could come back to. And we also really wanted to give Trish the experience of a childbirth, as there was no reason why she couldn't. She was fit and healthy. So we were seriously looking at donation. So are we going to do egg donation or are we going to do sperm donation? That was a million dollar question. Both of us saying to the other one, do you know what? I don't mind. I'd be really happy if they have a bit of you in them. And I'm fine if it's not my genetics. And the other one saying likewise. But if I'm honest, really honest, underneath it all, I wanted our kids to have a bit of me in there and a bit of Trish. And I was really angry about that was not looking likely to happen. Why can't we have our cake and eat it? Why do we need to choose whether it's a bit of me or a bit of Trish? In fact, I actually wanted the hospital to choose. And it took a couple of sessions with the counsellor for Tricia and I to open up to the fact that we didn't want to choose for genetics. And I'll never forget Trish going, I don't care what medical opinion says. I don't care about other people thinking we are wasting our money. My eggs are good enough to have a child and it's going to happen. I found that inspiring. And that's also why I love her and believe in her. But at the same time, something else became important. As soon as we accepted what we wanted, we also accepted that it might not be possible. And when we accepted that it might not be possible, we started to open our minds up to a future, a future around donation. And do you know what? My stepdad and stepmom, they had a big part in making me who I am and they weren't related to me biologically. One of my stepbrothers was my best man and my stepsister is just my sister. So what does it really matter? This is why the hospital insists that you see a fertility counsellor to help you answer those big questions and work through them. Now, I know for a lot of people, therapy, counselling, life coaching, mentoring, whatever you want to term it, it can be a very private matter and it might be difficult to make that move if you've never done it before. And I rarely talk about this in public, but I actually saw a therapist throughout the fertility journey and it really helped me to have someone to talk to who wasn't Trish or my mates or my family. I can honestly say that therapy got me through some incredibly difficult times in relation to wanting to be a father, to wanting to have a child. 
and there's some big decisions to deal with. And also a team coach needs a team coach. And do you know what? Those emotions have to come out sometimes, somehow. And it's better than just drinking them out. On my own and my own personal space, I was able to describe how absolutely fucked off I was. And I was angry about it. But as soon as I was angry, I could let go of it and start to consider the alternatives positively. In the end, the doctors decided that it would be best for us to go with egg donations first. So we went on the egg donation register. So we met a specialist who looked after the register and she explained the process. Like everything else, you find that there are so many options. You can go on an egg sharing register, which is much more cost effective. You can select one of the private donor registrations basically a fast track with perhaps more choice and control, but more expensive. You can go into the hospital list, the list I have one of their own, or you can go abroad, or you can find a private donor. We opted to go on the Lister list. It was between a six-month and 12-month wait, which seemed really cruel. We'd waited so long already. But it did give us enough time to try one more time on our own, and also to get our head around it. Trish wasn't going to give up on her eggs yet. But the process was we had to select characteristics that we would like to see. And the lady talked to us about matching us up against profiles. And we filled in a lot of forms, paid a deposit. Not a lot of money, I don't think. And we waited for our names to get to the top. And then we had to talk to the Lister counsellor about the legal, ethical, moral implications of having a donor child. And I'll let her talk to you about that later. First of all, though, a fact check. We already know the birth rate percentage of IVF differs depending on the patient's age. But when using donor eggs, the percentage can increase from 5% for 43 to 44-year-olds to 25% for all ages. That's according to the HFEA. If you're looking at surrogacy it can be difficult to find a match in the UK as there's a shortage of surrogates, so you may well have to go international. And if you look internationally, then that can be a shorter time, on average between sort of two to eight months. And the whole process, as a general rule, expect at least a year and a half to two years. But it can double depending on your personal journey and progress. The average waiting time to become approved for adoption is around six months in the UK. However, it's really difficult to predict how long it will take to find a child that best meets your family. And I just want to give a shout out to the Donor Conception Network for doing an amazing job in supporting donor conception for over 25 years. That is amazing. In the UK, if you give birth to a child, even using a donor egg, you are always considered to be the legal mother. If you are using donor sperm, the sperm donor has no legal right to the child as long as it was donated by an HFEA licensed clinic. Zoe Townsend was one of the counsellors at the Lister Hospital. And although we didn't meet personally, we saw one of the other counsellors there. I'll let her explain to you about some of the challenges during this part of the process. Is it vital that your baby has your cheeks or your nose? Is it likely that you're going to be able to have that baby? And is it important that you have a genetic baby or do you want to have a family? What do you see in the future? 
Mm. You know, the choice is yours. If you have a donor-conceived baby, what you are saying goodbye to is that genetic link and that fantasy. But it's necessary that you have that pain that you say goodbye so that you can say hello to a different future. That, I think, is really interesting. There was a bit Mm. where... Quite frankly, we were fighting it hard. Neither of us wanted to give up our genetics. That's pretty standard. And it, and it almost got to a point where we had to recognise that we didn't want to give it up before we mm. were able to think about the possibility of giving it up, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, because you have to look at what it represents to you. Is it about you being included? Will you feel excluded? Will the baby feel less of your baby? Is it that you had promised your parents who were dead that you were going to have children? Is it something about your bloodline? There are so many cultural elements that could come into it as well. You know, there's a lot. Before you move towards donor conception, nobody skips towards it blithely. That's a heavily trodden path. So let's talk a little bit about that because when we got to the point where sort of we were sort of sat down and go, look, you, you really should start thinking about different options. Mm. And and at that point, then, like you say, you ha- we have to see you. That's part of a process, yeah. isn't it? Can you just talk a bit about, about what you cover and what's included? So in an implication session, part of our um, role is really to talk in some degree, about the legal side of treatment. Not hugely, but some degree of that. We also need to get the person, the couple, whoever is having treatment, to imagine how they are going to manage this decision, how this decision is going to impact upon their family, how their family are going to cope with this decision socially, how it's going to be spoken about, how they will... Um, approach this with their children if it's their choice to tell their child nobody forces a recipient to tell their child that they have used a donor Um, there's an awful lot of things to consider obviously other things as well things about uh, genetic half siblings in the world things about children being aware of genetic half-siblings, about consanguinity, sharing the same blood, things like that. There is a huge amount that we pack into a session, but very often it's people just sitting, sometimes in shock, I suppose, that they're at this point, and sometimes, you know, you can see a little glimmer of hope starting to shine again on their faces after so much loss. Yeah, um, that that's just given me a really warm feeling, actually. I do remember that, that suddenly we thought, do you know what, uh, this this could be all right. I think the bit that I didn't get my head around was I wanted to be in control of when I would talk to my future child about the fact that they're uh, you know, not potentially our genetics. And I was aware that come 18, you have a sort of a a legal right to to Mm. find out um do do you want to talk a little bit about that what the what what is official and what is an official okay so in the uk the law was changed in 2005 so that anybody that donated sperm eggs embryo after that point whilst their identity is protected they are anonymous for all intents and purposes 
any children born from the donation, they have the right at 18 to apply to the HFEA, the Human Fertilisation and Embryo Authority, to have the name of the donor. And the donor will then be contacted and say, a child born from your donation is interested in contact. I suppose the individual choice about when you tell your child, it's very personal. Mm. Um, There's some wonderful books out there. Donor Conception Network do some brilliant work with supporting parents as they go through this. They say that you should get into the habit talking and telling from when your child can process so that it's not something that they have never known. But some people find that very painful and very difficult and they can't because it's yet again another reminder of loss. At one point, it wasn't clear whether it was going to be recommended egg donation or sperm donation. And in Mm. fact, the choice was left up to us for a while to sort of think, well, you need to think about which one you're most comfortable with. That's an incredible hard choice for couples. That's unusual. (laughs) That's really Mm. difficult. And that's really unusual because usually a couple or a person will come out and know that it's egg quality or it's sperm, let's say it's DNA fragmentation or something like that. But to come out and think, well, we could do either, that's a huge decision. Well, I think I think you hit the nail on the head. It was almost too much choice. And, and at that point, it was like, actually, we'd rather just someone made the decision for us in a way. Yeah, I'll see people as they're going off to make this decision and they're starting to think about what are their non-negotiables when they're looking for a donor and you know they're having to make their peace with this is how it's it's going to be and it isn't how they thought it would be so much about control there as well and and you alluded to that earlier when you were talking about feeling that you wanted to be the one to tell your child about their origins but also feeling that responsibility that you've made the right choice well, should we go with an egg donor should we go with a sperm donor what if it goes wrong and then i'm going to carry that burden it's mm. huge isn't it and talking about the same-sex couples and mm. and the different dynamics uh, there do you come across two two ivf dads looking at surrogacy as well we're starting to see that more now mm-hmm. um and surrogacy is becoming um uh, more of a choice and it's something that um, the Lister has talked about uh, introducing and they do have um, clinical leads who are managing that. So there are there are also permutations of families that we see and we acknowledge that desire for that person or that couple to create that family and we are respectful of that because we know that when somebody arrives at that point you know it, it's um it's a hard one decision isn't it when you really know that you want a child and you're prepared to go to a clinic to make that happen so back to the story we had a chat with a counselor about birthright and when would be the right time to tell your child that they came from a donor It's a personal choice, but we didn't want any secrets. And there was nothing to be ashamed of. Mine and your mummy's genetics couldn't make a baby on our own, so we had to have help from someone else. That sort of thing. Of course, you can leave that conversation until they are 18, and they may never ask. 
but genetic kits are so prevalent these days, there is a risk that child for any number of reasons could come across the truth without you telling them. So lots to think about there. Nothing in the fertility game is straightforward, but from what I can gather, nothing in the bringing up the kids game is straightforward either. So what do I take out of this? Be honest, show your emotion, and ensure that you and your partner understand that it's possible to have two emotions at the same time and to think and to feel. It's all right to think I have a dream and it may not come true because sometimes they do. And sometimes they don't. And sometimes you need a new dream. And that can also be amazing. But only you can decide when to give up on your dreams and move on. Not the doctors, not your family, just you. And next episode, we look at superstition, diets and belief in anything. Thank you for listening. This has been IVF Dad. I started this podcast to provide support during the lonely fertility journey and ensure others didn't suffer in silence. So please do share it with anyone it can help. Log on to ivfdad.com. I would love to hear from you and hear your stories. For future episodes, subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google, etc. Follow us on Insta and Twitter at ivfdadpodcast and on the website, check out the email and the show notes. There's some great links, advice and money-saving tips. Stay healthy, stay positive and remember, it only takes one.